Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, Dan Hawkins, Coach Hawkins of UC Davis. Coach, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you're on the road, but as we began to read Ryan Walter's story, your name came up time and time again. If you can bring me back to the beginning, I assume recruiting this young man, knowing his father was a Buffs quarterback back in the day. What was your first memory of Ryan Walters, Coach? Well, he actually was on the squad when I came to Colorado and Gary Barnett had recruited Ryan. And obviously that was a tough time for all the Buffs going through that. And then you get a new coach and me coming there. And then we struggled to get it done on the field as well. And Ryan was just always very mature, steady Eddie, good insight. He was a team captain. Uh, couldn't be more impressed. I was telling somebody the other day, it does not surprise me that he is a great – he could have been great at any profession, at any <laughs> profession. Really. I mean, he's just a great leader. He's a smart person, comes from a great family, good values. I mean, this guy's a man's man. He's just – He's honest. He's loyal. He is, and I, I mean, and I'm not just saying those things. I'm not. I'm a truth teller, and it doesn't surprise me that, that he's a head coach, and uh, and he'll be a good one because he's a great people person. And he's super smart. Can't say enough good things about him. Coach, we remember you from your days at Boise State. You had a coach, a, a former player as well, who turned into a pretty darn good coach in Chris Peterson. Now your coaching tree kind of extends here with Walters. His junior year, his sixth grade sweetheart, Tara, they have a baby on the way. Please bring me into that time in your life and certainly a time for Ryan and Tara that that tested them in ways they couldn't have believed being collegiate students. Uh, if you could... Give some perspective on that time, not only in your life, but in Ryan's life. Well, yeah, it's just he just handled everything so well and so maturely and so calm and so stable and such a great perspective. Uh, He understood his responsibilities, um, just mature beyond his years. And like I said, very stable, very unflappable. Um, Yeah, he just was just a rock, just a rock the whole time. And we're referencing the loss of their child late in a pregnancy. And, you know, Ryan's move forward. He has those same feet of his infant Audrey still tattooed on his chest. It's clear, Coach, Ryan, from that point forward, decided to continue on this path. I assume so many of us at that age, something like that happens. That that can change your entire life fair to say Ryan has taken that and that's helped propel him to today. Yeah, I just, he, we, we all know we're on the journey and that nothing is ever guaranteed. And along the journey, you're going to have some bad things happen yeah. as well as some magnificently magical, great things happen. 
And uh, you're going to take all those times when you're in the abyss and use those to propel you forward. And that's what any great person or athlete does. Um, and, and like I said, just his resolve and his <laughs> integrity and who he is to the bone is it's unmatched. It's really spectacular. You are following along his career, I'm sure, bouncing from North Texas to Memphis, gets a break as a defensive coordinator at Missouri. He steps in at Illinois, Coach. How do you explain what he just accomplished with the Fighting Illini, a program that was really trying to refine its identity in the past two seasons? Well, again, he's really, really smart. He really is smart. He's going to study football. He's going to study the science of football and know what works and doesn't work. But then he's also a tremendous connector, and he's going to connect with people in in a way that a lot of people can't. So be able to pull on their heartstrings as well as their intellect. So, yeah, I was very impressed, and but not surprised at all watching his teams over the years that they were they were schematically dialed up and smart, and they played hard. Um, not again, not a surprise because it reflected Ryan. I mean, if you sure. know Ryan, that's who he is. <laughs> I read when he was playing in your secondary, arguably the hardest hitter on the team. I think he may have knocked himself out of a game and then come back in for a bowl game a couple weeks later. Describe what mentality Purdue is getting, Coach, because, look, this is an offensive school. When you think of Purdue football, and Jeff Brom really did such a fantastic job of that, slinging the ball all the way around the field, the late Joe Tiller, Everything is offense with Purdue, and now there's a young defensive mind leading the charge. What do you make? What do you make on that note? Well, if you watch his defense, <laughs> he's very aggressive, very <laughs> aggressive, and he he understands that's what helps you win games. And so he will be that way in special teams. He'll be that way in offense. I would not expect him to be, in a sense what some people would stereotype a defensive coach if you're going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. Right. Please don't make a mistake and put my defense in peril. I mean, he <laughs> understands that you've got to cut it loose if you want to be good. So I, I, I wouldn't expect him to be uh, conservative on offense. He knows that being aggressive is a good way to go in all three phases. Dan Hawkins with us on the Hubler, Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Coach Hawkins leading the UC Davis program. Ryan Walters, Walters, excuse me, new Purdue head football coach. Coach Hawkins coached him at Colorado. The journey, we've talked about it. This family's been through a lot. You're a father of two, Coach, in terms of two sons. I know you have daughters as well. He's a father of two. Ryan Walters, the dad. What have you learned about who he is when the head coach hat comes off at home? Well, it it's not going to come off, and it's not and in the fam- <laughs> well. The family hat is not going to come off at work, right? And that's again, that's Ryan. I mean, he's going to be very authentic with kids at at the office, on the field, and and at home. He's going to be true to his his values. And sometimes in this profession, people talk about, "Oh, you we have a family. Our program's a family." Well, some sometimes they don't really know what that means because the family at home is. Right. Not really as dialed in or as important as the football part of it. So, hmm. but but Ryan is not going to be a different person at the office than he is at home, and that's because 
again, he's going to love on those kids that he's got in his program and treat them right and communicate with them and expect the same, same things he has at home. And again, if you know his entire family, they're all like that. They're, they're very close. They're very bonded. Um, and, and he'll be like that on and off the field. Coach, I'll get you out of here on this one. I know you've been connected to Ryan Walters, you know, two two decades now. I assume his cell phone is uh, is just a mess right now with texts and calls, and who knows? Maybe he's flying into Indianapolis right now. When you do get a chance to explain to Ryan what this means to you, what will you tell the new head coach of Purdue? Well, I'm I'm obviously always proud of these guys that have come to our program, and I think we always put a, a unique blend of of coaching on the table, and that that has to do with performance on the field. It has to do with honoring a person's academics and their future career, and well as well as the life development. And I think everybody that's been around us has been on that path, and it really it really uh, honors me and honors the process of who we're putting out there and you pay it forward. And I know he's going to do right by the school, the instructors, the kids, his own family. And he has that understanding of balance. And that to me is the greatest thing. And so uh, that, that, that's a blessing. And so the tree grows and, you know, right. So one does another. And (laughs) that's the cool thing about it. Coach Dan Hawkins, a UC Davis coach, thank you for hopping on on short notice. Best of luck this offseason. We'll certainly now be keeping an eye on you the rest of the way. And uh, who knows, maybe we can throw you a free pass to the Big Ten Network now that you'll be keeping an eye on Purdue as well, right? There you go. Boiler up. (laughs) Thanks, Hawk. Appreciate you. That's Dan Hawkins, a UC football again, the college coach of New Purdue, head coach Ryan Walters, who brings quite the story here at just 36 years old, a father of two. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's go back to the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Greg Rakeshaw, ISC Network, joins us. Greg, it's been a wild start to this week. Yesterday, T.Y. Hilton going to the Cowboys. Matt Ryan stays on as the starting quarterback. Purdue's number one. Vic's back. New Purdue head football coach. How are you feeling today, brother? Um, that's a whirlwind you just described <laughs> in, the, uh, in the last couple of days. Thankfully, that's all stuff that for the most part is your department. Like right. the Matt Ryan news, that falls under my bailiwick from, say, 4 to 7 coming up on Saturday afternoon. Everything else, it's don't forget to follow us on Facebook after you talk about it. <laughs> my man. Greg, Matt Ryan was asked today, hey, next season, you're under contract. Have you thought about if you're going to continue your professional career? What did you hear from the Colts quarterback? Certainly a question that will only get louder and louder here over the final week, month of the season. Well, I wasn't out there, brother. You have to enlighten me. What did he have to say? Okay. About? Well, the answer was, from what I read, he hasn't thought much about it. And does that give you any hesitation in terms of if you're running this football organization? And Look, Matt Ryan has not made a public misstep over the past month 
He's said everything the right way. He's handled everything, as you all know, as a true pro. But the fact that he definitively didn't say absolutely, no doubt in my mind, does that give you any, does that change anything for you? No, because what I like about Matt Ryan um, is what you just referenced in terms of how professional he has been. Um, I, I, I know he went to Boston College. I forget what exactly is the home state. Is it Pennsylvania? Is it Virginia? What is the official? Yeah, Pennsylvania, state? right outside Philly. What, what I thought. So, so he is the senator from Pennsylvania. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Connotation. No. He just carries himself in a very professional, borderline regal without the 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 attitude with it sort of way i mean that in complimentary to him and so that that's all well and good um whatever he has said has not impacted how i felt about he how he has played which has been largely not good right uh during the course of this season and so if matt's like hey i'm, I'm not sure at this point i haven't thought about it well you know, frankly, that doesn't impact my judgment, decisions, hopes, wishes as to what next year looks like. So I would imagine it's exactly what he would say. But you're to the point of the year now with four weeks left to go where, you know, you can start having those considerations and where two years ago when Phillip Rivers retired, maybe that put the Colts in a bind this time around. If that's the case for Matt Ryan, Perhaps that kind of bails the Colts out a little bit, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, that's an ironic connection you make there. I can remember the day Rivers retired, really caught essentially everyone off guard, uh, played well through that wildcard weekend loss in Buffalo, and then decided to walk away. And what we were all told to that point was definitely a multi-year stay in Indianapolis. That had been the rhetoric that season with Rivers in terms of, okay, what what's the outlook here? It was never a one and, and maybe from there, that point going forward. Poor anchoring on my part, asking you about a, a Ryan quote where you weren't there for. How about this one? Jeff Saturday says, absolutely, after four weeks, he knows he definitely wants to crack at this thing full time. And it was a similar question yesterday. It, it seems like we're all thinking the same thing here, Rake. Going one and seven probably isn't the best way to lock up a head coaching gig. How many games do you feel like Jeff Saturday needs to win in order to feel good about sticking around for next season? I think it has nothing to do with wins and losses. Nothing. Zero. So he can go one and seven. I think going one and seven is bad. Um, (laughs) I, I think it's more about how they play. Um, and again, I think it's also going to be about, Hey, if, if Jeff wants to come back, great. Is that what Jim Irsay wants? Is that what Chris Ballard wants? Is that a, any other sort of change in the front office? Is that the direction that they want to go? Um, is head coach the role that Jim Irsay envisions for Jeff Saturday? Or is it something that's more front office-like? So it's a very important piece of the puzzle if Jeff wants to continue to coach in the National Football League. That's good to know. But, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure that's completely his decision at this point, and I still think there has got to be a bit of a figuring out slash feeling out process that happens when the season is over, even if we kind of get a uh, – we have an idea what the big picture is going to look like some four weeks ahead of time. Greg, this theory continues to float around of the front office transition. Oh, no, they really 
you know, they would be great moving Saturday up to the front office. That's kind of the plan behind the scene if this doesn't work out. To me, that makes no sense. And here's why. Everything Jeff Saturday has that's different from everyone else stems from a leadership standpoint, from his energy and his enthusiasm that we've seen that, granted, as you said, the wins and losses haven't checked out yet. He's a difference maker on the sideline, in the locker room, from a person-to-person standpoint. I don't see the the equation here adding up to Jeff Saturday becoming what Ed Dodds is now. Oh, by the way, Chris Ballard's number two, Ed Dodds, has been very sought after. How is this all going to work out? They're going to create a new position for Jeff Saturday and add another cook to the kitchen on Chris Ballard's department. I don't believe that if this goes south, Jeff's going to go upstairs. Does this add up to you more than it does for me, a potential move upstairs? I have no earthly idea what's going to happen because the Colts brought in someone that is highly respected in the community. Yes. Clearly clearly knows the National Football League, one of the legends of the franchise, but hadn't coached above high school football and named him as the interim coach of the football team. So, again, if that's possible, if you can make that leap, then I have no idea what else would be considered possible or likely or candidate pool for any given job whatsoever. So we've all tried to sit here and, you know, two plus two equals four. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not sure the, I'm not sure the arithmetic others are doing is the same. And so I am, I'm very much of the opinion of I have no idea what's going to happen. Let's see how it plays out at this point. Because, again, the move was such a left field move four, now five weeks ago, Yep. who knows what four or five weeks from now are going to look like. That's well said. And Saturday now down another assistant coach, Clayton Adams, the tight end coach, left this weekend to go take the offensive line coach at Stanford. That's right. Clayton Adams will be walking around campus seeing Andrew Luck zipping by on his bicycle at some point here in the coming weeks, most likely, as he leaves the Colts and now Jeff Saturday's offensive staff down three coaches really from the start of the year. Uh, Granted, he has replaced Frank Reich, but we know no one really replaced Frank Reich's share of certainly the offensive game plans and play calling department. Uh, That's now on Parks Frazier's shoulders, as you're aware of. Greg Rakestraw of the ISC Network on us with the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Greg, Huge showdown this past weekend. Ben Davis upsets Cathedral. It was on ISC Network. What did you take away from that major upset? Uh, That the pieces are missing something for Cathedral. And you knew there was no way to replace a Tayshawn Comer. Mm -hmm. I think you were just kind of hoping that, you know, the young guys in the backcourt can figure it out. And Sincere Germany is not a young guy. He's a senior uh, and is a really good player. Doesn't have Tayshawn Comer's game. Uh, you've got young guys like LeBron Goff and Derek Kennedy that came off the bench last year. They're still trying to figure things out. You're working in a, a transfer in Kamari Slaughter. Talented yeah, I like him a lot. Supported. But, you're, again, you're, you're, you've got to have somebody that connects all the pieces together. They'll figure it out. And, and Xavier Booker, the last two Saturdays, has been non-existent offensively. Um, again, they will figure that out. He had some struggles early in the season last year, too. Caught fire late and help lead that team to a state championship. So Cathedral's got the pieces they need 
they need to have somebody grow into a point guard role. Uh, and, and again, I think there's time enough in the year where that can happen. Ben Davis is about as fully formed of a team as you can have. Uh, you know, Zane Dowdy is, is, is their best player. Uh, KJ Wyndham is their best shot maker and got fire early. And I had the wherewithal to say on the broadcast, who makes his first look out, he made five in the first quarter. Oh, wow. Um, finished the game with 20, kind of rolled his ankle and played limited minutes in the second half. I think Ben Davis is, ben Davis is the best team, say, one through 12. I think the greater individual pieces are Cathedral. If they were to play again in March, which would not be until the semi-state round, who knows what could happen. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that Ben Davis, for as deep and as experienced as they are, returning all five starters, got the better of the first matchup because they are the team that is the closest approximation to what they were a year ago. Um, and again, they could play again in March. Ben Davis could win, and Ben Davis might just be the state champs in hmm. Other thing I would say is this. The game Give before it to that one that saw Penn and Zionsville, yep. the Burton kid was tremendous. I mean, Penn was down in that game 21-1. to Holy cow. In, their head coach and Al Rhodes used three timeouts in the first 225, or first 535. Something finally clicked. Burton takes off. He has 37 of their – 57 points that they scored. A lot of us have kind of already handed the trophy to to Xavier Booker in terms of <laughs> Mr. Basketball. Hang on a minute. Winning the state yep. championship last year, being yep. one of the top recruits in the nation, going to Michigan State. We go, hey, it's going to be this kid. Well, <laughs> given how they're playing, Burton's going to have something to say. Obviously, Miles Colvin of Heritage Christian. Yes. Yep. Purdue will likely have something to say in that mix as well. But uh, in other words, I – I, I feel good about the top three teams that I saw coming out of 4A in having watched them played on Saturday. Cathedral will get better. They will figure it out. Ben Davis is just a great high school basketball team. And if Penn's within a possession or two late, Marcus Burton's going to find a way to score on you. Uh, and so all of those permutations can still lead to a championship for those three teams after watching him on Saturday night. Well, A, I'm glad you mentioned Miles Colvin because Rosie would have been calling in saying, hey, don't forget about Miles in the Mr. Basketball conversation. Rosie and I have each other's phone number. <laughs> yeah. It's quite all right. B, if you're listening on the West Side tonight, go support Don, La- Don Carlisle's Ben Davis Giants. They have built a monster there, one of the proudest programs in the state. They've got it cooking again. Greg, quickly, I want to get you out of here on this. We've remembered the late Mike Leach today, Mississippi State head football coach, tragically suddenly passing away earlier this morning only you pal can go from talking about the best and the best in high school hoops right now to a college story on the football field nearly three decades ago what's leach's connection to indianapolis if you could share that this actually actually predates me by about five or six months (laughs) okay um, coming coming to indianapolis okay and i did not catch wind of this until a couple of years ago but when I got to school at UND, um, there was a brand-new football coach in Joe Polizzi. Uh, it was the first change as a football coach at University of Indianapolis, Indiana Central, in 25 years because Bill Bless had just retired wow. after two and a half decades. Joe, tremendous pedigree. Joe coming from Hillsdale, formerly a Ball State assistant coach, played the Canadian Football League. And Joe did a fantastic job in 16 years at UND. By year number four, the Hounds won eight games and were competing the final two weeks of the season. 
for a GLIAC championship and for a Division II playoff berth. But one of the candidates that apparently he beat out was Mike Leach. Wow. Because Mike at the time was on Hal Mummy's staff at Valdosta State, which is a Division II powerhouse. That name's Ringer Bell, Kenny Moore fans. Yep. That's where he played his college football uh, at, at the Division II level. Um, Mike would eventually make his way with Hal to the University of Kentucky and then on his own path. But Mike interviewed for the job at UND in 1994, and so I didn't cross paths with him. But some friends of mine that were football players that were a year or two older than me actually sat in on the interview process. <laughs> oh, so man. We, we, we've had a nice— If we could have those tapes, Rake, that, exactly. that would be and gold. They said they, they, they loved them, and it was, of course— <laughs> It's a buddy of mine that's a quarterback and a wide receiver, so of course they would have. Uh, their, their stats would have gone through the roof. Yeah, the air raid was uh, in its infancy right. at that point, I assume. And, and for what it's worth, um, if you go, hey, if he takes that job, maybe he doesn't make that leap into major college football. Hmm. Let me tell you this. The first UND football game I ever attended, the opposing head coach was Brian Kelly. There you and go. later that Grand year, Valley. the opposing head coach was Jerry Kill. So... Yeah, you could have made that leap from you, Indy, as well. Didn't work out that way. It's 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 a it's a might have been. And again, let me state this unequivocally: you and you did great in hiring Joe Polizzi, and Joe is is a dear friend of mine. But it is a what if that mm. uh, on the day, sadly, of Mike's passing, some of us kind of look back on earlier today. Just when you think, yeah, I know pretty much everything when it comes to Indianapolis sports lore. That's when you need to pick up the phone and call Greg Rakestraw. The Encyclopedia on with us tonight. Rake, great to hear from you. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for hopping on. Thank you, Charles. That is Greg Rakestraw of the ISC Sports Network. You can watch all of the best of the best of local college sports and high school athletics on ISC Network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Ben Brown of the Pro Football Focus. Uh, he goes all inside the numbers. Ben, we know you're out of Minneapolis. Look, there's a very interesting situation developing here as Jim Harbaugh takes the Michigan Wolverines to the college football playoff. Certainly, buzz around Harbaugh's name will continue until he either publicly states there's no NFL stop for him after this season, um, or maybe he ends up here as the head coach. Last year was a similar deal with the Vikings, a team that underachieved with a roster that looked like it was ready to win now. Harbaugh comes in, interviews, it doesn't work out. Why did that not work out at the time? And how do you view Harbaugh here potentially in Indianapolis? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks for having me on, Trey. It was that was a really interesting, um, you know, scenario. I would say specifically from like kind of a Vikings fan perspective because they were doing both the the you know the GM replacement, general manager replacement with Rick Spielman, and, and trying to kind of identify that guy first. And I think you know they they ended up on and landed on you know Questia Dufamanza, but it seemed like. Um, there was more a situation where they probably liked Ryan Poles just a little bit better initially, uh, all things considered, and he ended up in Chicago. And it seemed like in some ways that maybe would have been the fit for Jim Harbaugh if, if he did end up with Minnesota. It is kind of matching along with the style like uh, Ryan Poles as the general manager. So in some ways it seemed like 
more a situation where the Vikings weren't really willing to meet all of Harbaugh's contract demands and that <laughs> some of his you know, overall offense philosophies maybe didn't stick to what uh, the, the direction was that Questia Nufamanza wanted. So I think, you know, from, from the Colts' perspective, if they do end up keeping Chris Ballard, uh, you know, the marriage and relationship with uh, Harbaugh in that scenario, I do think probably makes a lot more sense and is a much better fit than what it would have looked like in Minnesota last year uh, and the way in which it ended up. Ben, that would be the merging of two very, you know, type A personalities. Look, the marriage between... Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, optically it worked because they both kind of took on different roles from a personality standpoint. I'm just picturing when a disagreement comes up between Chris Ballard and Jim Harbaugh, that would be fantastic television if we could be rolling on the Colts complex in those meeting rooms. Do you think that is realistic to think that knowing what Chris Ballard's gone through here for five years and in comes Jim Harbaugh knowing how much it's his way or the highway, and that's the way it's gone over his coaching career. The fusing of those two would be interesting, to say the least. What's your forecast about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be uh, you know very dark and dire at certain points, but I also think <laughs> wouldn't put it past Jim Ursay, given the you know kind of the direction that he's gone after Frank Reich, right? I do think that he wants you know, some people in the room that, uh, you know, are willing to bump bubbles a little bit. And I think you could very much see kind of, you know, that marriage that we just talked about uh, having those situations where there are some disagreements and some, and some points where there is going to definitely be strain. And I do think that, you know, Jim Irsay might gravitate towards those sorts of, uh, I would say, situations right now. So although it could be, uh, I would say in some ways, like a brute force type operation at certain points in time, right. uh, I also think the marriage might be, uh, it could be quick. It could be, you know, done pretty, pretty, uh, done and over pretty well, pretty especially pretty quickly. Uh, but, but I also think, like you said, it would make for a lot of interesting headlines. It would very much be, uh, you know, a, a reason to have hard knocks and everything else happening in Indianapolis uh, next year. Yeah, circle back, right? I think some of the uh, old camera gear is probably in a shed somewhere by the Colts complex still. The AFC South, Ben, what a beautiful place to play professional football. I think Colts fans are so numb at this point this year. I haven't heard one person say, gosh, if they just would have been 500, they could have won this division. No, people in Indianapolis are coming to terms with reality that the worst thing that could have happened to this Colts team this year would be to go Nine seven and one, get into wild card weekend, get trounced by Cincinnati, and then be staring at the twenty first overall pick in April. This needed to happen. It is happening, and it's painful for about three and a half hours every Sunday. But folks, much more concerned about the draft order here. Please explain to the rest of us as some of us have checked out about what's going on in Tennessee, how bad are things right now for the Titans? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really bad. We do still expect them to, you know, win the AFC South crown, but, but kind of like you said, it's, it's because, you know, the, the other three teams have lived, you know, so far below expectation that, you know, the Titans are kind of backing themselves into the playoffs, uh, but, but very much probably don't look like, you know, overall contenders to, you know, actually win a game if one, once they do end up getting there. And I think, you know, like you said, that is kind of uh, the situation and maybe the, the, the silver lining for Colts fans specifically is like, 
at some point you do need to bottom out and you do have teams, you know, below you in the AFC South standings who are probably on a much better trajectory than you are currently set up for, right? When you kind of do the retreat quarterback situation every single year and go out and get a veteran guy to kind of, you know, fill that hole or fill that gap in the roster and hope that the rest of the rest of the pieces can kind of either maintain or improve slightly. Right. Like at some point the, the, the check comes due, right? And so there are teams like the Jaguars who did bottom out, right? And very much look to have, you know, the future franchise signal caller at the quarterback position. And that has them, um, you know, not only maybe with a little bit more hope this year, but, you know, the, the, the trajectory as well could easily overtake what the Colts have on the field if they don't kind of go through this quick bottom out phase you know, as well. So uh, I'm in agreement with you. I think from a team building perspective, uh, the, you know, the, the race for the first overall pick or something should very much be embraced more so than it is from a fan perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Houston leads uh, the Colts, you know, by a couple laps here out on the West side at the Indianapolis motor speedway, but crossing that yard of bricks second would be, would be great for Colts fans. I know to reference our great racing history here, Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus joining us right now. Charlie Clifford in for JMV. Ben, yesterday, Jeff Saturday doubled down. He's going to stay with Matt Ryan at quarterback. We've gone deep into the Matt Ryan turnover numbers. Can you remember the last time a quarterback finished the season leading the National Football League, not only in interceptions, but also in fumbles? Does anything come to mind? And the thought that... Maybe all of this isn't Matt Ryan's fault from a turnover perspective. I think for those of us who have watched every single play of every single game, you're right. The offensive line has caused some very tumultuous situations for Matt Ryan. But from what you've seen, how much of the blame should be on Matt Ryan at this point in the year, specifically when it comes to turnovers? Yeah, I think I think he very much has to, you know, shoulder uh, you, not not the entire plate, but very much uh, a lot of it. I'm I'm of the mindset that you know the offensive line play, uh, obviously when it's great, can be very very beneficial to a team's outcome. But there are ways to kind of you know I would say almost circumvent what what is going to be and should be expected to be somewhat poor offensive line play. And I think we you know in, in a lot of ways did that on Sunday night with the Los Angeles Chargers, right? They have, you know, what what could widely be considered, you know, a top five quarterback in Justin Herbert, but they, they, they finally understood that they don't have the pieces along the offensive line to really handle anything outside of like a quick passing game type of attack. And, and, and I think like putting your quarterback in position to actually be able to do that is also probably the missing piece that Matt Ryan just doesn't have this year, and and the situation with moving on from Frank Reich and going to Jeff Saturday, and and some of you know not necessarily his issues, but maybe his you know uh, newness to you know what needs to happen offensively in order for Matt Ryan to be successful. So sure. although it's probably you know in a, a, a number of different reasons for why things have happened, at the end of the day, it, it it is still Matt Ryan, and he still is very much you know at the point in his career where. He does need clean pocket, uh, you know, a clean pocket expectation in order to actually be able to run an efficient offense. <laughs> and he's not getting that right now, but I think a lot more of it is maybe even the offensive scheme more so uh, than I would say the offensive line at this point. Ben, look, we heard from Frank Reich this past week. He was back in Indianapolis for the first time publicly since his midseason firing. He and his life wife, excuse me, Linda, running the Not Today Foundation. Fantastic work. Reich was all smiles. 
looked refreshed, looked rejuvenated, told uh, our sports director at Wish TV, Anthony Calhoun, yes, he does want to coach next season. And as you forecast what else is out there and what could potentially be opening after the year ends, do you think Frank Reich's a head coach as early as next season, or will he have to wait and go back down the route of an offensive play caller before he gets a crack again at head coach? Where are you placing your bet on that tonight? Yeah, I think if I was, I think if I was betting on it, I would probably um, assume that he goes more of the offensive coordinator route, at least starting off here once again. And I do think there's going to be, um, I would say not only a pretty big need, but a pretty big desire to have Frank Reich as an offensive coordinator in a number of positions or at a number of locations, because uh, there are teams that are definitely, you know, bad and and probably going to be in search of, uh, you know, coaching changes. But a lot of those guys are still, you know, only first year type situations as well. So we might not see, you know, the complete, um, you know, I mean, let's think about this, Ben, right? It's, it's that we expected. what you're alluding yeah. to Denver, Denver with Hackett. Yep. And then depending on what happens with the chargers down the stretch with Staley, two jobs that very well could become open. You have right. the Colts, you have the Panthers, now, two weeks ago, if you would have asked me, I would have said, Frank Reich to the Carolina Panthers, take those odds right now. But Steve Wilkes, suddenly 4-4, four and four, he's won over that team. He is doing what the Colts hoped Jeff Saturday right. would be able to do, stick in a division that you know isn't any good, galvanize a team, make a push for the playoffs, win over the locker room, boom, you have your guy, and it's a perfect marriage because Jeff Saturday is already one of the most beloved figures in Colts history, at least in Indianapolis. That has happened for Steve Wilkes. Right. Does that tell you that what are the odds Wilkes stays in Carolina? Because to me, that is Frank Reich's best path forward as a potential head coach next season. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with you because you did kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Outside of the, the the opportunities that have kind of already opened up and have interns in place, like there isn't a whole lot else. Like 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 the Rams aren't going to be moving on from Sean McVay, even though they're four and nine or or whatever, right? And the, and the New Orleans Saints aren't probably going to move on from Dallas Allen, Dennis Allen after one season, even though even though they're four and nine. So you are kind of looking at teams like you know Houston Texans maybe moving on from Lovey Smith after one season. Or, or or needing to you know kind of land in one of these other situations. Mm-hmm. The only other one, like you said, is Carolina. But uh, I, I think we've seen you know the Steve Wilkes situation play out, and I think that was kind of with the Las Vegas Raiders last year with which Pistachio, who you know very right. much came on, and, right. and it was a different situation because you know um, you know the circumstances was like fired right. for a number of different reasons off the field um, were the, were the real issues there, but. Um, I think, you know, with the turnaround that Steve Wilkes has seen in Carolina, even with a, a somewhat bad division and the, and the way that they've kind of gotten Sam Darnold to play pretty good, you know, football at the quarterback position, I think he definitely deserves <laughs> a second look. And I think that's probably only going to get, you know, uh, he's only going to make a stronger case for it, uh, you know, the rest of the season, I would say. Well, we re- wish Frank Reich all the best. And Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus. Ben, I want to go here with you as we wrap up here on Tuesday afternoon on the ride. Uh, you're in Minneapolis. Here come the Colts Saturday. We've read about the Vikings magically pulling out nine one-score wins this season. Yes, they are 10-3, and three, but we watched what happened in Detroit on Sunday. 
what kind of game will this be? And when you look to the numbers that really tell the true story of the Minnesota Vikings this year, which numbers do you point to uh, in terms of is this team 10-3 and good or has this been a bit of a regular season story that has a very high likelihood of fading quickly in the postseason? Yeah, so I would say the one story that that I kind of realized, I would say early on with the Vikings specifically and and kind of their almost Cinderella-type run to being 10-2 and before they lost last week was was kind of the story of their secondary, right? And I do think they are really top-heavy with Harrison Smith and and Patrick Peterson still playing, you you know, close to Pro Bowl-type caliber player so far this season, but outside of those two guys, they don't really have anybody else. And they, and they, and they kind of have a situation where they've been really big, big play dependent. So from an EPA perspective, EPA per pass play allowed, uh, I think when you remove the turnovers, the interceptions that they've got that have swung heavily in their direction, they're like the third or second worst uh, coverage unit in football based on that, Hmm. based on that particular stat. And I think that is the concern. And that was the breakdown that we saw in Detroit as well was, you know, that they could not get off the field on third and, third and five, third and six, third and long, or, or whatever, right? So I think when you have a, a you know a somewhat capable offense, uh, you know, defensively they're just not good enough to beat, I would say, sound or quality football teams. And, and then the offense, like you can say what you want about Kirk Cousins, uh, all things considered, but he's actually been playing pretty good football and had yeah. one of his best games uh, against Detroit last week, and it still wasn't enough because, you know, defensively, once again, uh, they, they, they just can't get off the field, so unless they get the turnover luck that they were kind of relying on early in the season, um, I, I would say it's really tough to see them kind of uh, winning in a matchup against a team that is very much, um, you know, just as good as them offensively. And I think a lot of teams, even in the NFC, uh, can definitely make that claim right now. So I, although I might be a little bullish on, you know, like <laughs> this weekend, I think long-term, yeah. uh, it, it might be another pl- quick playoff exit for us, unfortunately. One of the more tortured franchises in postseason – play uh i was up there for the blair walsh miss in the negative five degree game at tcf bank stadium against seattle and you can add that to i was, I was at that game as well actually. hey we man should have, we should have met up for a frozen beverage yeah you're right <laughs> everything on the rocks please uh that was so cold and you know, look, the Bills get most of the lore, I think, in terms of franchises you think of right now that have been tortured in the postseason. Make no mistake, the Minnesota Vikings are right there as well. Ben Brown, a pro football no. focus. Ben, I appreciate you coming on the ride this afternoon. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. Have a great show. Thanks, pal. That's Ben Brown, a pro football focus. Please go follow Ben on Twitter. If you really like the the numbers behind the stories of these matchups, he does a fantastic job and it's great to have him on. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We have Dustin DePirac joining the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. Dustin, the beat writer for the Pacers with the Indy Star. Charlie Clifford here in for John this evening. Dustin, did you agree with Coach Carlisle's assessment that although last night was a loss, maybe there was more good than bad to take away from what is now a 3-7 and seven run for the Pacers, but more specifically, 
the loss last night. What did you walk out of the field house feeling? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd agree that it was it was better than it was bad. Uh, I guess for for how they, as far as how they played. I mean, I think uh, the story I wrote basically said that the issue is that they still, you know, it, that game ended up being played on on the Heat's terms. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd rather not have that if you're the Pacers. I mean, like like the, the Heat are much more comfortable mucking it up. And I mean, I mean, the good part about it is, is that the like they were able to play the Heat style of play and not get pushed around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's some good and there's some bad, but but that I think was really important to Rick just because of how poorly they played on Saturday. They really got pushed around by a Brooklyn team that was not playing its main guys. Uh, you know that that and and there's some value in in having and digging towards the end of your bench and putting out some guys out there. Um, that have fresh legs that are really hungry, um, you know, but like, and, 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 you know, in, in Brooklyn's case in particular, they have some really wide bodies toward the end of that bench. I mean, they had Marquise Morris and uh, Dayron Sharp, and those two guys go about 600 pounds together. And that makes them <laughs> significantly larger yeah. front court than what is from a girl standpoint than what the Pacers can put out there. So, and that had something to do with it, but he just said, Hey, you know, we didn't have the effort, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's just about going out and getting the ball. And, you know, our guys didn't want it as bad as Brooklyn guys want Brooklyn's guys wanted, and that's a problem. Um, you know that that's one that they cannot continue. So that the fact that they really responded to everything that went wrong against Brooklyn in that game, and which was which was as much of a disaster a loss that they had all year, right. and then clearly step up just the physicality uh, in this game mattered. I mean, just just the simple fact that you have a response, uh, I, I think, is it was obviously really important. I mean, they go from giving up, you know, seventy two points in the paint and cutting that down to about thirty eight. You you give up twenty nine offensive rebounds, you cut cut that down to nine. You give, uh, go from, um, I think, what was it? I mean, it was just not a lot of second chance points. I can't remember. What yeah, they were sound. Be. You can think of a yeah. couple threes in the eight. Yeah, yeah, a couple threes so in the corner. Is, yeah, part of that is the Heat didn't um, crash as much because the Heat were just more interested in transition defense, and they were sending four guys back a lot. So it's really just does Bam Adebayo get a offensive <laughs> rebound or not? He's good, you know. Whereas with Brooklyn, not all of them were crashing, and, and not all of them, but a lot of them are crashing and trying to you know, get second chance points. So, so there's some strategic there, this stuff there, but uh, a big part of it is just them being more aggressive, them being more physical, you know, you need that. I mean, basically just, especially after a performance like they had, they, they need to get something. So it's better than worse, but it's still a situation where you're seeing it get harder for the Pacers to dictate the tempo that they want to play at. Correct. It feels like really over the past 10 games, maybe it's fair to say, all right, the, the league is getting a sense of what this team is now doing. There was no blueprint of how Tyrese Halliburton, Ben Matherin, Miles Turner, all on the same floor together would look. And now you're three and seven over your last ten. And it gets more fun on Wednesday night tomorrow with the Warriors coming in. Golden State plays in Milwaukee tonight, a nationally televised game on TNT. Carlisle made it clear. Look, I don't know exactly who Steve Kerr is going to play on Wednesday, right. so we aren't going to go out there and say, "Hey, go catch Steph Clay and the guys." Hold mm-hmm. on that news until tomorrow afternoon. Quickly before we move on past the Miami game, Dustin, mm-hmm. Victor Oladipo checks back in midway through the first quarter. I thought it was a pretty unmemorable, you know, return in general. Five points, made a couple buckets. When you watched Vic move on the floor, what did you take from the state he's in right now physically? Because Honestly, we said yesterday this is a sad story, and after watching him play a little bit, uh, I didn't see much spark there from 
an all-star caliber player that we remember just flying through the air at the hoop. What did you take from what Victor did last night? Yeah, I mean, I, it, the, the thing was, obviously, I mean, I, we, I got to go to, you know, shoot around on um, on Monday morning. And, and so the way that both Vic and, you know, Eric Spolster kind of explained, you know, here's where Rick, Vic stands right now. Uh, it, it, it was in line with that. And I think that, you know, Victor's, you know, we, we got to talk to him well after uh, Akeem Glasby and Tony East and I hung out for a good hour I think after the game, waiting for Vic, yeah. uh, and so and, and he talked to us. I mean, he was and, and he was great. And, and you know, I mean, like obviously, I have a lot of experience interviewing Vic, going back to his days at IU. Right. Um, and he was really, I mean, I, I think just really honest, really open. And I think that you you've seen a lot more of that from him in his sort of public statements over the last uh, you know year or so as he's really talked about what all he's gone through and, and where he knows he stands. And it's you know he, he's coming off. Uh, he, he's got a bunch of bad breaks on this injury. You know, the surgery that didn't go right. Um, and so, you know, he realizes that there are steps that need to be taken for him to get back to where he was. Um, you know, I mean, like he spent some time just sitting on the floor at Gainbridge. I mean, that's he, what he I had heard. This is post game, correct? Yeah, this is post game. And so, I mean, I didn't, we, we didn't see all of it because we were sitting there waiting for a locker room on the locker room forum. And a security <laughs> guard came in and said, Hey, he's just out on the floor right now. You got to go to the floor to get him. Do. Don't wait in and, here. And we walked out, we saw him, and then he came into the locker room and talked to us. Uh, but, like, for just, hmm. uh, we just saw it for a few seconds. I don't know how long he was there or what else he did. But there was a moment he was just, just sitting down on the floor. He had, like, you know, kind of a practice shirt on and whatever. And I don't know if he did anything before that or who he talked to. But I think he just kind of wanted to connect back with that moment. Self-reflection. Okay, yeah. yeah, this is the journey that he's on. Yeah. You know, that was where it started, and it's just sort of talking about, he said, it's just, just bigger than me, and it's, but this is sort of where I'm at, and I have to just, you know, kind of be aware what I've gone through and, and you know, be happy with the, the strides I've made. And I think that's kind of where he's at. That's where Spolster's at, is just knowing it's going to take time for him to get him back to being, uh, you know, who he is. And, and, you know, they were able to, you know, get him right at the end of last year, and, and he was able to make some uh, contributions during that playoff run where they got the Eastern Conference Finals. And it wouldn't surprise me if he makes more strides again. But he's not going to be the, the Heat's best player. He's not going to be the Heat's third or fourth or, or probably even fifth best player. You know, it, it, he's gonna. They're gonna get something out of him. I think that's gonna be worthwhile. And and you know, obviously the Heat have to get to be a better position they're in uh, if they want to make a similar run this year. But I mean, they still have the rest of those pieces: Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero, and Kyle Lowry. I mean, that group has you know obviously has a chance to get up there somewhere in the top four in the league right. uh, if it can go on a run. And then at that point, it's what can you get from Victor Oladipo off the bench? You know, can he? You know, Spolster was just saying you know he he can do anything you want him to defensively. He can be an elite on-ball defender. Uh, he, says he thinks he's going to get right when it comes to weak side stuff. And it's really, you know, uh, stuff that I, I thought was going to be what he was good at in the NBA. And he, he ended up being a far better offensive player. <laughs> right. That's the he, irony here of this whole yeah, thing, right? It's thought. He's he's yeah. kind of circling back to, I think he would take at this point, just keep me on the floor. I want to be a great role player. As you said, defense, defense, defense. The one right. play I'll remember from last night, Dustin, he the one time he went to the rim, challenged by Jalen Smith, and it was not good in terms of the optic for Victor. It just no. you remembered a player who would fly through the air and hang and go up over guys, you know, seven mm-hmm. foot and above, and that that burst is just not there. And after two quad injuries, you know, look, you can only be a superhero. You know, it's it's hard enough being a superhero when you're healthy, and unfortunately mm-hmm. for Oladipo, he is where he is. 
Dustin, you asked a fantastic question to Rick Carlisle today at practice. This is Dustin DePirac, Indy Star Pacers beat writer. Charlie Clifford in for JMV today on the ride. Andrew Nemhart, the second-round pick out of Gonzaga, who Carlisle has said, look, if we were redrafting today, Nemhart would be a 10-15 to 15 overall pick with what he's given you, the buzzer beater in Los Angeles over LeBron, the fantastic outing in Golden State, outdoing Steph Curry. What comparison did Carlisle give you today about Nemhart so far in his professional career? Yeah, no, I asked him, you know, if he'd ever trust a, uh, trusted a rookie as, uh, on defense as much as he does to give him the assignments he gets. Because, I mean, he guarded LeBron, and, you know, he not only hit that shot in front of him, but, I mean, he, he defended him a lot of possessions one-on-one. And, and you know, Andrews, uh, he, he, he's bigger and stronger than you kind of think because he just you – know, I agree with that. His upper face. body, that guy's doing some shoulder presses, man. Really, really is. Uh, <laughs> so there's, there's more muscle, too, because he's got the baby face. You know, he, he, yeah. even, even with the mustache, he still looks – he's got it like, what are you doing with that kind of thing? You know, he looks like a kid. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's muscle to him, and there's and, and he – you know, I mean, LeBron did not push him around. I mean, LeBron tried to post him up, and – you know, I mean, that was the, just watching LeBron. There's sometimes I think, man, just push somebody over. You know, like you, 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 you are a little bit too hesitant considering you're the best player in the world. But like he did, you know, like uh, Nemhard was there to give him trouble, and then he was there. Uh, you know, a, you know, a week later, he's playing against you know Curry, and it's a totally different assignment. But he's chasing Curry around, and yeah. he's chasing Damian Lillard That's around. A good point. And, and he's, I mean, he's taking all these assignments. He was on Jimmy Butler. Last night, and it's it, and it's every kind of perimeter, uh, you know, assignment that you can have. I mean, it's it, it's it like it's not just you know point guards or ball handlers or whatever. It's it's everybody. It's the best perimeter guy on the floor. It's it's the best guy who's not a center on the floor every night. Um, and he keeps putting up at least decent, uh, you know, performances. I mean, no nobody is going off. Nobody's shooting seventy percent from the floor on Nemhart. You know, if you're getting twenty five against him, you're working, uh, and you're going to have to hit shots over top of him. Damian Lillard hit some over top of him, but you know, Nemhart's going to be there. And so, uh, so I asked um, Rick about that. You know, have you ever trusted another rookie like that? And he's like, that's probably the first time he's told me I really asked a good question. Like, <laughs> I heard him last night say, "Well, I explained this before the season, but you probably weren't here, so, so I'll recap." There. So, yeah, hey, thanks, Rick, thanks, Rick. We, we, Appreciate we it, Rick. Back and forth. Yeah, we love it. He stopped and said, "You know, that's a good question." He said, "But the last time, the, the, the one only one that he can remember is Tayshawn Prince, and obviously mm. that's a huge, huge compliment." And certainly, yes. as we talked before, I mean, that's a, a different era uh, of defense. Uh, to you know, get away with a little that. more on the perimeter. Then. Yeah, exactly. You could get some <laughs> hand checks and stuff like that. But obviously, Tayshawn was just a, a monster oh. piece of that uh, Detroit defense. And obviously, that, that team won a title uh, after Rick moved on. But certainly, I mean, he, he built those, that, those groups up to being uh, as competitive as they were. And they took the next step with Larry Brown. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that, that's, you know, that, that's building the core of one of the best defenses that we've ever seen in the NBA during a time when you could really defend people. Uh, so for, for that to be the only name that he could come up with really tells you just how much trust he has in this guy. And I think more than anything else, you know, Prince obviously had both the, the, the mentality, but also just the length. Uh, oh, and gosh. Good length, you know, but like Tayshawn was like, you know, Spider-Man. Yes. Um, I, I think Rick just so appreciates Andrew's, 
brain, basically. His ability to process, his ability to kind of um, stay steady, do the right thing all the time, both defensively and offensively. Uh, I mean, just the immense respect I think the Carlisle has for Nemar. Just every time I ask, you know, and we've had to, you know, lately just about Andrew to just kind of get him to say something else about how great <laughs> he's done. And, uh, you know, Rick, I think every time is just really just truly impressed with the, again, just the basketball IQ, just the mentality, just the maturity that he plays with. Um, and so it's, it's, it's sort of fun to watch that connection when you see such a veteran coach who's been around so many guys uh, just be so appreciative of, of a guy that's playing the league for the first time. Yeah, it's a credit to Kevin Pritchard, Kelly Crosskoff, Ted, Chad Buchanan, Ted Wu, adding pieces in the past two drafts, not only with clearly very high ceilings on the floor, but that carry themselves with such veteran leadership already in their NBA careers. Ben Matherin's in that category. Clearly the acquisition of Tyrese Halliburton, Isaiah Jackson, who really didn't get much run last night. Uh, They're finding pieces that we, not me, and after what we saw in spurts of both of the previous two eras, both the Paul George era and the Victor Oladipo era, it's quite honestly just refreshing to watch a team that um, will play like that on a nightly basis. And I know Rick has reiterated that throughout this season. Final one from me, Dustin. Dustin DePirac here, Pacer beat writer on the ride with Charlie Clifford. Benedict Matherin really doesn't get in the game in crunch time last night until Aaron Neesmith goes down awkwardly with the shoulder. It sounds like Neesmith's fine. Matherin checks in for the final, I think, minute and change. His role going forward, will wins and losses ultimately force Rick Carlisle and this staff to change Matherin's role? He continues to come off the bench, or do you see this not changing even if Pacer fans start to quietly begin to pound the drum of, all right, this kid is so good. Why is he not starting? How do you see this trans uh, transpiring moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could go a whole lot of different directions, and obviously, there's going to be nights where Ben just goes off and he leaves him in. I mean, I think Rick has sort of said that I, I just, his the first time I asked him about this, obviously, and this was sort of you know I don't know a week in or whatever, and and so I was sort of pleading ignorance while asking the question. Um, <laughs> Smart. Was, uh, saying, you know, because it was just like, hey, I don't know why you did this in the first place, so tell me why. Um, but he, you know, it, he just views this as something that's good for a young player uh, to come off the bench and say, okay, you know, get a minute to sort of get a sense of the flow of the game and see where his opportunities are going to be, and then be able to piece, piece two units together and make sure you have scoring on both of those units. Uh, make sure that there's a guy, uh, when you bring the bench out there, that it can get you buckets and you're not just running out, you know, five guys that are just setting picks and rebounding, but nobody can put the ball in the bucket. Um, you know, you, you need to have that if you're, if, you know, certainly in the NBA when you have to have shifts the way you do it differently than in college where you can just throw the guys out there for a while and just sort of hope, okay. um, you know, this is different. They need a guy who can go get you buckets. And I think, um, and I think he still likes that. And, and it's just a question of, you know, how, how are the matchups going to change? How, how do games change? You know, what do you need out there? I mean, I, will there come a time where it becomes clear that you have to have Matherin in the starting lineup? Certainly possible. Uh, you know, it's certainly possible. And obviously, well, that's what I was looking for, start. too, because yeah. I'm, I'm not here to tell Rick Carlisle what to do. Uh, sure. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. his, his, look, they've they've put these pieces together 
and have done a fantastic job doing so. I'm just you know curious as a fan. Obviously, if you're buying a ticket to go watch the Pacers, you are very intrigued about seeing Benedict Matherin on the floor. And from a minute standpoint, it's, it appears it's broken down. He's playing just as much as whoever's getting the nod at the three mm-hmm. position, at the two position. Is that correct? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, his minutes are about the same. Obviously, he's still in that top four scoring range, and, and, and that's obviously start pretty jumbled up. We have Halliburton and Turner and Heald and, and Matherin, and it's all right. you know, those guys kind of fluctuate. Halliburton is usually still on top there with about 19-something, uh, and you know, the other three guys were some, are somewhere in the 17s, and they kind of flip from game to game depending on who has a big night. Um, and and I, I think you know it's just it, it's piecing just all of it together. I think he likes having Nemhard out there for the defense. He likes, obviously, Halliburton you know, running the show. Um, and it's okay when you have two ball handlers to have a guy like Heald who's just really spacing the floor, uh, but he also likes what Neesmith can do because Neesmith can play much bigger than he is. Um, you know, it, obviously with the lineup they had last night smaller, they also like to have Jalen Smith in there so he have a little bit more length uh, sure. at times depending on the matchup. Um, so I, I think he's still okay with it, but certainly it could, you know, come in, you, you know, would you have a second unit that's, you know, uh, you know, Nemhard or McConnell or both um, and, you know, and, and O'Shea Brissett and Buddy Heald, you know, I mean, there's, there's obviously some scoring punch there as well. And, you know, they, they've had different, you know, mixes and matches of that. Um, but, you know, I, it's also a case of, you know, Matherin, it, 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 he is going to start seeing attention and he is. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the, the secret's he, out, he, everybody. The secret's yeah, out. Knows who Benedict Matherin is now. And, yeah. and I think, you know, it, it, it is harder, I think, for NBA teams to study than you. I think that that's one thing that's kind of an interesting difference from what I'm used to covering is that, that you would think, okay, well, they'll, they'll all figure these guys out. Well, you only have so much time to study between games. No. You've got to get, you know, get have a, have half a clue within a day and a half <laughs> or a day or whatever and figure out who everybody is. And, and you're probably watching 15-minute clips to figure this out. But they, they know, and they're going to start putting real defensive pressure on him, so that's going to get harder, and then he's going to have to counter. Um, so, you know, there's going to be some growing pain yeah. here. Something uh, tells uh, me Benedict Matherin will figure it out. He, he will yeah. figure it out. Long Dustin DePierhack. Dustin, yeah. appreciate you. Thanks for hopping on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always good to catch up, man. Absolutely, Charlie. Thanks for having me. That's Dustin DePierhack. Go follow him on Twitter. Pacers beat writer doing a fantastic job in his first season with the team. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We're going back to the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline tonight. Joel Erickson, Indy Star, Colts beat writer. Joel, what should the Colts do over the final four games of the regular season, we've been told Matt Ryan is the guy this week, and Jeff Saturday hopes that's the case for the remainder of the season. What direction should this team head? Um, if if you want to see, if you if you wanted to just go into the full development thing, which I, I don't think the Colts are going to do, it's almost. Whether or not they should, um, that's probably where they are, but I don't know if it, it's, it's hard to look at that as opposed to what they're going to do. And what they're going to do, I think, is, is probably stick with Ryan. I mean, barring another performance like the one against Cowboys, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, they're, they're not necessarily going to have a reason to. And, and I, I obviously, Matt Ryan's turned the ball over all season against all types of defenses, but 
they're not really going to face another defense like the Cowboys again down the stretch here. The Cowboys right. are a high sack, high turnover defense. They took advantage of a lot of stuff like that. This, this last four teams they're playing, in theory, in theory, it should be a little bit easier for the Colts offense because they've they they don't have that kind of profile. And so, um, if if he plays like that again, I think they're going to have to make a move just because like, the quality of opponent isn't isn't up there. But I, I think point. there's a chance that realistically what's going to happen is I don't know if they score a ton more points, but it might be a little bit more like the, the Pittsburgh game or, you know, the Eagles game where the, the offense isn't really moving, but you're not having the backbreaking mistakes from the quarterback. I think that's fair. What are the odds as of tonight? Jeff Saturday is back as the head coach next season, Joel, what would you put that percentage at? That's that's a that's a tough percentage because the only person that matters is <laughs> isn't telling us. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, and, and that's and the thing is, like, I could give you the I can give you the percentage from like what I would think. I would think that you know what they said coming in. Like the impression I got from the introductory press conference was that they thought that there could be a turnaround here and that they were going to play better. Correct. And based on that, going one and three would make it unlikely to me. But that may not be the way the only person who matters sees it, you know? Um, and, and so, so it's, I, I keep having to think about that. Like what, what I think or what I would do, uh, it's been pretty clear with this cold season that, that what the, what the general consensus knowledge is might not be a good indicator of what's going to happen. <laughs> That's putting it very lightly. Joel Erickson on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline, Charlie Clifford in for JMV tonight on the ride. Joel Jelani Woods remains at least on the depth chart, the third tight end behind Mo Alley-Cox, behind Kylan Granson. On a scale of 1 to 10, how frustrated should Colts fans be with Woods' usage this season? Yeah, I think think that – I was thinking about this over the bye, and I think that what's going on is, you know, they they created – they've got Kylan Granson in the the F role, the receiving tight end role, and – Granson, I think, has had a, a better season than a lot of people expected. Um, I think he's been solid. He's he's been he's been solid, but the the thing is, when when he was out against Pittsburgh, and uh, Jelani Woods had to play a ton of snaps. That's when we saw the eight catch, ninety eight yard game, and and it's pretty clear that Woods provides more of a downfield threat, downfield target. Uh, more of a big play potential than Granton does. No question. So shifting up, shifting up some of those snaps, whether or not they're getting the blocking they want um, from Woods at this point in his career, which I, I don't think they are, um, and that's not really surprising with a rookie. Uh, I, I think that that that's probably the the, the missed opportunity there is to spread, split that roll up, or or just do more two tight end stuff. Although that's hard with some of the way the receivers have played. But do some more stuff to get him in the passing game because clearly, clearly of the three tight ends, the one with the potential to be a real difference maker going forward is Jelani Woods. I'm with you on that. I think of all the players, and we all took inventory of this over the bye. Okay, who would you really want to see more of? Maybe the answer earlier in the year would have been Isaiah Rogers, but he's overtaken Brandon Faison for that cornerback two position. Bernard Ryman, they've stuck with him, so that that's not an answer. To me, the player you want to see more of over the final four games 
if it's not Jelani Woods, it's just Alec Pierce and Alec Pierce's snap counts from what I've seen. I, I don't know if they've necessarily taken a significant dip from earlier in the year. Are there any other Colts you want an evaluation on, Joel? Because, look, everyone can point to the quarterback, and quite honestly, that won't be answered until April. Where else are you looking for some definitive data here over the final month of the season? I think I think that if you're looking for, for that stuff, you just kind of focus on the young guys who are probably going to be back. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you're, if you're a veteran on a one-year contract or on a couple-year contract and, and there's, there's a rebuild thing. I, I don't know if, if you're necessarily going to be back. So you're trying to find pieces that you can build on. So is that like Rodney yeah. McLeod versus Nick Cross? Like, could you see Cross getting more I, reps I, out I of that? See Cross, I can't see Cross getting back in there unless – Unless the Colts just just blatantly just go, we're just develop, we're just going to <laughs> you're just tanking. Which, you which can you can resisted. say it. We're just tanking. Yeah, which they've resisted so far. Yeah, yep. You know, because Cross has only played two snaps since the second, uh, two snaps on defense since the second week of the season. Right. And he hasn't played a single snap in my chart says seven games here. So that's a long uh, time. Developmentally, you want to throw him out there to get experience, but also. Can you hurt his development by putting him out there when the coaches clearly think he's not ready? I think, I think you know, the Julian Blackman, Rodney Thomas, both on the field at the same time with McLeod, that was interesting that they did against Dallas early. Um, some of the maybe, – maybe you get the, – the, the, the injury situation on defense has kind of fixed the defensive line spot for you in terms of getting those guys more playing time, you know. Um Maybe you increase Eric Johnson's snaps a few over Byron Cowart, maybe. But I, you know that that's pretty much set with the way the injuries have gone. Yeah, that's not you're moving right. the meter much for Colt. Let's be let's be real. It, no, it's you're interesting. Right. I mean, yeah. it's, the young guys the young guys are playing for the most part. Right, and that, that's the scary thing, right? I mean, that you're still seeing these results, especially at the playmaker position. I mean, let's. Let's take this season for what it is. With the exception of the Jacksonville game, have you, Joel, been moved at all by what you've seen at the playmaker spot as a whole from the pass catchers this season? Oh, I, I think I think the receivers are actually probably um, have probably been better than anybody expected. Uh, you know, it, if if you told, especially like. Um, Obviously not with you, Charlie, but with with uh, with JMV with JMV yeah. during the off season, we talked a lot about like how you know if you were getting 500 yards from Alec Pierce as a rookie, mm-hmm. that you'd probably feel pretty good about it. Well, he's already there; he's already at 510. Right. Um, Paris Campbell's got 50 catches. I don't know if anybody expected him to really really be right up there. Woods Woods, you would like to see play more, but what you've seen of him, you go, okay, there's something there. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same thing with Granson. Not not in the same, not in the same downfield big time playmaker type, but a chain mover for sure. Um, I think I think if anything, the way the offensive line has played has made me wonder like, how much are we not getting to see from the receivers because the Colts don't feel like they can throw the ball down the field at all. Um, but then you caveat that with what you with what you saw early against Dallas and saying, "Oh, wait, you still can't throw the ball down the field. It's just a matter of schematically finding those opportunities." It, you know, Collinsworth went on and on Sunday night about 
hey, it's there if you give these guys a shot. We heard from Michael Pittman Jr. after that loss in Tennessee. They need to trust us. They need to trust it. Translate that to throw us the ball deep. Give us a chance. Show, let us show you what we showed you all summer in training camp with Pierce going up and making one-on-one plays. Well, um, the, the, un, the unspoken part of that, though, is that it wasn't ever about, it didn't ever, ever have anything to do with trusting the wide receivers. It was always about the quarterback trusting his offensive line. And I think mm-hmm. even when Sam Ellinger was in there, we, we didn't see that from them. You know, yeah. I, I think, I mean, this, one of the things about the way Ryan's played this year, uh, you know, the, the turnovers are the obvious thing. But one of the, one of the other things is that he's, he's just so intent on getting the ball out of his hands. And I think he missed his opportunities when he actually does have a pocket. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you get him back out of that. I, I thought that, you know, if you're going to make a move to Nick Foles, the biggest argument would be that during training camp, he was the quarterback who pushed the ball down the field the most. He was slinging it, man. He would, he, he was, was not afraid to just throw it, down throw, right? <laughs> I remember that too, uh, and I think that's a good point. But, but yeah, the, the, the ultimate culprit here is, and they said this a couple of weeks ago, we, we asked Ryan and we asked Parks Frazier, you know, why aren't you guys throwing it down the field more and taking more chances? And both of their answers was essentially, we, you, you have to have the time. Yeah, yep. I know it's not rocket science. Joel Erickson here, Indy Star Colts beat writer. You're listening to The Ride, Charlie Clifford in for JMV. Joel, Matt Ryan was asked point blank, have you given any thought into continuing to play next season? He is under contract. Your thoughts on what? Ryan said, and maybe more importantly, what he didn't say this afternoon. Kind of a, kind of a uh, with Ryan, kind of a a classic Matt Ryan answer today. <laughs> it was right there off the playbook, wasn't it? Yeah, he doesn't. Ryan, for for listeners who do, who haven't watched, who haven't been in all the press conferences like Charlie and I have, um, he he's got a way of answering and not answering kind of at the mm-hmm. same time. He, he, he's um, a PhD in it. And and he did that a little bit today. I thought it was interesting because, you know, he didn't he didn't slam the door shut on it, which I thought was maybe a possibility given what he said in the off season where he'd like to play as long as he can and 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 keep going as long as he can. But I, you know, I wonder what the limits of that are. Like, does that would he continue to do that if he had to move into a, a backup role or a placeholder role or right. something that was more of a less of a starting role. A mentor. He's never really had to do that, and we haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks with his sort of resume move into that. Warren Moon was a guy that did that um, as, he, as he got older, but not a lot of those guys do that. A lot of those guys, when they're kind of done being the guy, mm-hmm. they're done. Right. And that's that's the crux of this whole discussion, right? Because surely, whether it happens the first week of January in Chris Ballard's office or if it becomes a phone call as the offseason continues, it will be made clear to Matt Ryan that whoever is coming in from the collegiate ranks will, at a minimum, I would think, be competing with Matt Ryan if he is still here. In any way, would you ever see a scenario where it becomes May of next year and the rhetoric from the Colts is, this is still Matt Ryan's team, and that won't change ahead of week one. Is there any scenario you could see that being reality? No, it doesn't. No. I mean, they've made so many quarterbacks. They've made quarterback changes after much better seasons than this one. Yeah. Um, I, I'd be shocked if we get to May and it's it's Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan alone. I, I, I guess 
I could see just because he's under contract and you sort of avoid having to pay multiple quarterbacks because even at, regardless of whether or not where they're regardless of where they're drafting, almost every team signs some veteran to come in when they draft a quarterback. Right. Uh, and and so uh, you, you, the assumption is that they're going to have some veteran. So if you can get Ryan to get on board with that and have him come back and, and play under his contract and you just you just feel like, you know, we're going to make this move, but we need to have someone there in case the rookie's not ready yet and we don't want to throw him to the Wolves, and you can convince Ryan to do that, then I could see him back. Um, that's the hard part. That's That's the thing where, like, answers like today – I would love to know what he actually thinks. I know. I'm with I would, you. I would love to know what Matt Ryan actually believes about whether or not he'd be willing to be the sort of the placeholder uh, for a rookie instead of the – because it's different. You know, I, I think if, if, if this had gone the way they thought it was going to go, they might still be drafting a quarterback next uh, next April. Correct. But, but it would be more of a, like, Patrick Mahomes situation where you know he's going to sit for most of his rookie season. As opposed to the the common thing you see now, which is when you take a guy high in the first round, there's a there's a, a veteran quarterback, and everyone who's covering the team and watching the team is just going, okay, how many weeks is this guy going to get before they go to the rookie? Right. And I think that's the situation that they're in now is whoever the veteran is, we're going to be sitting there next week next season going, okay, wait, wait, how how long is this going to be before they decide to go to the rookie? Joel, it's interesting. I have one more for you here before we hop off the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I just think back to Phillip Rivers, how that season ended, the momentum that that team played with and sustained throughout that season, the protection that Rivers got for that season, and Phillip Rivers still made the decision with the Colts in a very competitive place heading into the following year to walk away. When Matt Ryan gets out of regular season mode. As you've noted, he is a very tunnel vision guy, and he's done that for his whole career. Maybe the truth is he hasn't put serious amount of thought into what to do next year. When he takes inventory of the physical toll and the mental toll this season has taken on him, something tells me it's going to be very hard for Matt Ryan to convince himself, let's come back in Indianapolis, let's keep my family here, and let's do this again. I I just... It's hard for me to get there. Is that fair or foul in your opinion as of tonight? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I kind of feel, I feel the same way. I, I think given the way this season's gone, you know, obviously Ryan, Ryan played poorly, but they, they also told him it was going to be two years, and then the, the, the rug got pulled out from under him after seven games. Yeah. Regardless of how he's played, I, I think, and he said all the right things about it, but I, I feel like he would be, I feel like it would be sort of inhuman or unhuman to not feel the weight of that a little bit. And agreed. And and I think the hardest thing with Ryan is just knowing: does that mean retirement? Does that mean being willing to go on the open market and trying to find another spot? I, the 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 hard part about this season is that it has lowered his profile of what he could do, um, and, or, or what teams could could think they're getting in him, and, and that makes it that makes it harder to find a landing spot. Like this, I just keep thinking: does Matt Ryan really want to do the Andy Dalton thing? I, I don't know. And I'm with you. The answer to that is no because of the level he's played at. And at some point you want you want legacy intact, correct? Everyone can wash over what will ultimately be a bad season in Indianapolis. And remember, Matt Ryan is one of the toughest, most efficient throwers in the modern era. 
And the longer you open that door to, oh gosh, but the end was so, so horrid, you know, certainly that's in his mind as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And how much, how much does he want to go out there and work as hard as he works and do all that stuff only to not play well? I think that's, that's the thing with most of these quarterbacks is it comes down to, you know, when I don't feel like I can get the job done anymore. Well, that, that's, that's, that's a really – I don't know if we'd ever get anyone to say that. But, <laughs> right. you know, does right. it feel like you can still get the job done? Joel Erickson, you know? I appreciate you coming on. Uh, rapid fire here. Final four weeks. What record do Jeff Saturday's Colts post? I think one and three. There it is. They, that's who they've been. <laughs> <laughs> Five, 11, and one would be the verdict then. there then, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Joel, always great to catch up. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you out in Minneapolis on Saturday, all right? Okay. Thanks, Charlie. That's Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Please follow Joel. Does a fantastic job. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right now, we welcome in Grace Ibarra down in Starkville, Mississippi. Grace, thanks for taking the time during what is a very, I'm sure, heartbreaking day for you. I understand you were with Mike Leach over the weekend. Please, if we could start there, uh, what turned out to be your last encounter with the gregarious head coach of Mississippi State football. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me on, Charlie. Um Obviously, the last time I'd seen him before that was, I think, the Egg Bowl, which was awesome, his last win, and being able to get that um, over Lane Kiffin for the first time was pretty awesome. But in, in most times that I had seen him before that, it was really just football. So this past Saturday, one of the um, radio personalities in Starkville had a Christmas party for all the media members, which is really awesome because miss a lot of holidays being down here and um, has over a lot of us because we're far away from our family. So it's really nice to get together with people, but um, invited some of the coaches um, on Mississippi state staff, including Chris Limonis, who used to coach at IU. Okay. Uh, just won a national title. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. His daughter still goes to IU actually. Um, but he was over there and I know he said he had invited Leach, but you know, we weren't sure if he was going to show up. <laughs> sure. I, I hear uh, the pirates here. And it just made my guy. He walks around the corner and he's wearing his cargo shorts and his tennis shoes <laughs> and his maroon T-shirt as always. And um, just really happy. I mean, he's, he's very serious when he's in football setting. So I never really get to see the side of him. So it was really cool to see him just interacting with other members of the media that he knows um, and then I saw him just having this conversation with Chris Limonis for about 20 minutes and, and Chris's wife as well. And it was, it was cool to see that because it's just a side that I guess you don't normally see of Mike Leach. You, what I get is his press conferences most of the time. Um, but my favorite memory, I think, from that night was Chris Limonis's wife made this fudge. And it's, it's this awesome peanut butter, like chocolate fudge. And Mike was just chowing down on it. And he was telling Jill, he was like, it's like Reese's, but more intense. And he was just the happiest I had ever seen eating this fun. Grace, it's an interesting spot for you. Grace and I go back and intern at Wish TV, did a fantastic job 
graduates from Bloomington, a standout performer at the journalism oh, school at IU, of course. And uh, now you embark on your professional career. You end up with this character as really the first football coach you're ever going to c- cover at a collegiate level along with uh, Lane Kiffin. What did you learn from Mike Leach as a young journalist? Where would you go on that subject tonight, Grace? I mean, I'm I'm so lucky. It was a huge reason why I took this job, the opportunity to cover the personalities of Lane Kiffin. And Mike Leach was just so enticing. Doesn't get better uh, than that. I, I feel, no, I mean, <laughs> where, where are you going to find those two personalities? And we don't cover Deion Sanders and we don't cover Jackson. State, but I'm sure yeah. you know our folks down in Jackson have another amazing personality as well, <laughs> or had. I guess he's moved on, but um, yeah, I learned so much from covering Mike Leach, and I think, namely, the first thing is that you cannot ask him questions like you would ask. I, I'm used to maybe a Tom Allen or a Mike Woodson prior to this, where you where you can kind of like get at what you mean. You have to be so literal with Mike Leach, <laughs> and it all depends like on his mood. So um, I, I was uh, at the, the Alabama game when Mississippi State nearly got shut out at Alabama this year. And I don't know if everybody has seen his like infamous dinosaur rant that happened. Well, he went on this dinosaur rant about how his, his receivers can't catch the ball and how they're going to end up like the dinosaurs and evolve to be without hands. <laughs> and I had had my hand raised, and of course I get the question after like this six-minute rant about dinosaurs, and I'm like, I'm screwed because here I am. I'm trying to ask him about how he let Bryce Young have so much time to throw the ball, and I know I'm not getting an answer. And it's just so hit. And it was always like so hit and miss with him, um, and you had to be so very literal. And it was something I learned from my boyfriend who had covered him for a year prior to me getting there for the Clarion Ledger. And I would be like, Steph, you need to like tell me, how am I supposed to phrase this so that I can yield something? Right. That I can Throw do? me a lifeline here, please. Regis, I'll yeah, phone so a friend. He was, he was giving me a little bit of advice for a while because I think I got, I got it backfired on me one time in like a midweek press conference where I... I think he said that they were just not prepared for their game against Kentucky, and I was asking how you know, they were going to prepare this next week better for I forget which team they were playing. <laughs> and he was like, we haven't practiced yet, so I can't tell you. And like, you know how politicians say they'll get back to you, and they never do. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. not ask him anything literally. Grace Ibarra here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline covers Mississippi State for WCBI down in Starkville. Uh, Charlie Clifford in for John this afternoon on the ride. To put into perspective the gold that Mike Leach delivered seemingly on a weekly basis at his press conferences, let's together tonight go back. Again, if you're just joining us, we're remembering the late Mississippi State head football coach, also coached at Washington State and Texas Tech. Let's go back to a brief time up in Washington State when Mike Leach was asked to define who would win a battle royale between all of the Pac-12 mascots if they were put into a cage match together. Who would emerge victorious? And this is the answer only that Mike Leach can deliver. First of all, 
What kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he, does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? The Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. It's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. The duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. The beaver, well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the ute, again, we're back to, uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, because if that ute's got a rifle, there's some definite problems. You know, you'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. Just as far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo's going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu a buffalo's utterly outstanding. Did I leave any of them out? The cougar will find a way. Uh, Clear-minded and crafty, a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh, <clears throat> and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings. Mike Leach, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think it would be a fairly easy choice if anyone played Mike Leach in a in a movie. Grace Will Ferrell would step in and probably be able to pick up that role tomorrow. Uh, look. We could play sound bites like that for hours here. And again, Grace Ibarra joining us from Starkville, a report on campus after Mississippi State loses its head coach after a heart attack this weekend, just 61 years of age. Grace, what has the scene been like on campus? And also, what does the football team plan to do uh, heading into bowl season? If you could provide those updates here as we wrap up. Yeah, so uh, it's actually finals week just wrapped up this past week. So campus is completely empty, which I think has made it even more weird. It was extremely somber to be on campus today. Um, outside of Davis Wade Stadium, they had set up folding tables where people were coming and bringing just flowers and um, even people were bringing candy. I know Mike Leach, one of his famous rants was about candy and how he hated candy corn, but <laughs> like these nerd clusters. So those were there. He had gummy bears there. Um, some fruit snacks, somebody wrote on it, no more candy corn, coach, swing your sword. Uh, yeah. So a lot of really touching tributes. They also had the uh, big jumbotron on with that graphic we've been seeing going around, a rest in peace, uh, Mike Leach. But really somber, it's also rainy here today, so it's been kind of spitting rain, and it feels a bit like Starkville's crying, and it's just very sad all over the place. Um and then the team announced today that they are still planning on playing in their bowl game on January 2nd against Illinois down in Tampa. They're moving forward forward with uh, defensive coordinator Zach Arnett as their interim head coach, but okay. that's kind of all the updates we have at the moment. Um, Zach Arnett was also already in Tampa this past week. I think Leach was busy recruiting, so he wasn't making the trip not because of health this weekend, but because... He has a lot of recruits he's trying to bring in before signing day on December 21st. Um, and Arnett kind of already filled those shoes for him this past week um, when Brett was also in there for Illinois. So it'll be interesting to see how he takes on that role. We've kind of already seen him shift into it a bit. 
Got it. Well, Grace Abarra, look, one day long down the road when you're reflecting on what will be a very successful career in journalism, you'll be able to smile knowing that you were very lucky to have Mike Leach as your first main subject to cover. We appreciate you taking the time on, I know, what personally is a very heartbreaking day, and we'll certainly be thinking about everyone in Starkville and the Mississippi State community in the coming weeks, all right? Thank you so much. Definitely feeling lucky that I got to have him in my life for a little bit. Thanks, Grace. Great to catch up under the very unfortunate circumstances. That's Grace Ibarra, IU graduate covering Mississippi State.